Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. On this episode of the Taking a Walk series, I'm heading to the Back Bay in Boston, and I'm going to be taking a walk with my old friend, Dr. Carl Marcy. I first met Carl some years ago when I was part of the Council for Research Excellence, which was a Nielsen-funded think tank with a bunch of great researchers. Carl was working for Nielsen then with the neuroscience division that he had founded some years ago, and it was really cool getting to meet him and understand neuroscience from a guy who could speak English, so a guy like me could understand it. Carl has a brand new book. It's called Rewired, Protecting Your Brain in the Digital Age, and I can't wait to take a walk with Carl Marcy. Taking a walk with Buzz Knight. Well, Carl, it's so good to be taking a walk with you in person in lovely Boston. Uh, we're right now on Boylston Street in the Back Bay. How are you, Carl? I'm good. I'm particularly good because it's nice to walk without a mask on uh, for the first time in a long time. Isn't it nice? Yeah, it's refreshing. It's nice to see people's faces, uh, to see smiles, right? I hope it lasts. Uh, as a physician, I'm slightly nervous that it's a little premature, but let's uh, let's enjoy the spring while we can. Exactly, exactly. Well, we have a lot to talk about. We want to talk about your new book, which uh, is uh, something really uh, exciting that you've uh, you've worked on. Uh, but let's sort of let's figure out first of all your journey, and we could kind of intersperse how you and I first connected. Um, but um, how did you get to be this person that wanted to study the brain? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I was a psychology undergraduate, and uh, at the time, I won't date myself, but let's just say neuroimaging and the ability to take pictures of a healthy human brain was relatively new uh, and very exciting. And when I got to medical school and started literally studying the brain in detail, I, I fell in love. And you have three options in medical school if you fall in love with the brain. You could be a neurologist, a neurosurgeon, or a psychiatrist. And uh, neurosurgeons just, you know, do surgery. They don't really talk to people. I like talking to people, so eliminated that one. 
neurologists only take care of things they can see, and I was pretty sure there were things going on in the brain that we couldn't see, so I became a psychiatrist, uh, and that started me uh, off on the journey of uh, brain science. And then ultimately, uh, your company was ultimately rolled up into Nielsen, is that correct? That's right. So along the way, I started off as, a, as an academic uh, psychiatrist studying the neurobiology of empathy, sort of how one brain understands another brain. And along the way, someone recommended I go to the MIT Media Lab, and we were fast friends, friends because they were making the first generation of what we now call wearable devices. So they were taking handheld computers and doing what MIT engineers do, taking them apart and plugging sensors in, and then literally sewing it into a vest and walking around. But it's so and I said, oh my goodness, you have a multi-sensing wearable computerized platform. This is amazing. They said, yeah, we don't know what to do with it. And I said, well, I have some ideas. Uh, so we started collaborating on various projects, and along came uh, an MIT business student named Brian Levine. And when he graduated, he asked if, he wanted, if I wanted to start a company. Uh, instead of measuring empathy, measuring audiences' responses to media marketing stimuli. And that's how Interscope Research was founded. And that's where I met you because uh, at that time I was working in the radio business and I had a corporate programming role, but also as part of that, I was fortunate to uh, be the company's interface with Nielsen. And ultimately, I uh, got to be part of this really cool thing called the Council for Research Excellence. And uh, boy, that was an amazing group of people who were part of that, some legendary um, research people, uh, whether it be Howard Schimmel or Dave Poltrack or yeah. Stacy Shulman, I mean, kind of a who's who of people who were part of this. Yep. And uh, you came into the picture when Nielsen and uh, and you connected, and um, you were really the first person in my mind from uh, you know someone who wasn't an academic who um, allowed me to understand neuroscience in a way that um, you know was. Uh, human, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I thank you for that. Well, I, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, when we started Interscope, which was ultimately bought by Nielsen, which is what you're referring to, um, I started to give talks about what we're doing. And there would be, you know, 20, 30, 40, sometimes 50 people there. And I knew they were listening. And uh, I could tell they were engaged just by looking at them. But at the end, there was never any questions. And my business partner said, I asked him, I said, why do you think no one's asking questions? And he paused and he looked at me and he said, I don't think they understand a word you're saying. <laughs> so I went on a journey to sort of uh, make neuroscience accessible because I was talking to you know, experts in media and market research who knew nothing about the brain. So I, I had to make it uh, intelligible. I had to make it accessible. And that, that, that took a while. And the best advice I got uh, was someone who said, well, act like you're talking to your best friend's mom. Because you're going to speak a little slower. You're going you know, to talk with uh, empathy and, and, and kindness uh, and, and interest. And, uh, you know, that's how I imagined my audience when I would talk. I was like, I'm talking to my best friend's mother. <laughs> now, I'm taking that all the right way because I was the person who you should have been directing that at. Because, once again, these people that I mentioned that were part of the CRE, and Nielsen funded the CRE. It was sort of this think tank. But... These were these uh, amazing analytic folks. Oh, very smart people who knew their business well. I was just a programmer, so I was not 
you know, I was out of my league, but that's what I so loved about it because this was a group of people that I just, you know, uh, enjoyed collaborating with and getting to meet you know, new people from that group. Janet Gallant was another one of these people. Richard Zakon ran the, the CRE. So that was a tremendous experience, and I'm grateful I got to meet you uh, through that process for sure. And since we're both Boston-based, we would then, uh, over time, bump into each other um, between haircuts. Uh, <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally. Yeah, I'm not kidding. So, so right now we're walking in one of the most uh, unbelievable places that uh, every time I walk here I pinch myself. This is the Boston Public Garden. Garden. Yeah. Beautiful and place. It's so beautiful. Um, how do you use taking a walk, by the way, to sort of, you know, uh, motivate yourself or re-energize yourself? Yeah, well, I, I think like a scientist uh, because of my training and um, there's a lot of really good literature to support uh, getting outside of nature. Uh, walking and, and thinking uh, that the, the, the movement of the body the stimuli around you really kind of uh, stimulates creativity and I think the most important thing we can do is do it without technology and just really kind of be with ourselves or a friend as in this case uh, and, and have a good conversation and see where it leads so this uh, topic uh, that the book is focused on is something that has come up in uh, a couple of previous episodes of uh, taking a walk um, the one in particular it came up in was um, with the comedian Steve Sweeney. Okay. Um, and uh, Steve worked for me years ago at WZLX, and he's an iconic Boston comedian. But as we were walking over in uh, the Fresh Pond area, we had this very conversation about what's really going on with uh, the amount of screen time that people are facing and uh, what it's doing to people and how it sort of makes us sad really when you see those situations uh, in restaurants where uh, a husband and a wife aren't even talking to each other. They're each off on their, you know, their own device or you know, the kids are stuck on the device. So um, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the book and uh, how you sort of got into the mindset of its importance yeah uh well we are more distracted divided and depressed than ever uh as a society and i i think that uh it's an open question the causality because it's always hard to get to the root causes of things but as i began the journey of trying to understand the impact of mobile communications information and uh Sorry, yep, hold on a second. Uh, as I began the journey looking into the impact of mobile information, communication, uh, and media technology, uh, the, the literature uh, was, was impressive. Uh, and there were more studies than I thought there would be. And then Interscope was doing some very leading edge work at the time. Now, when we founded Interscope, it was 2006. So it was before the iPhone. And our first big study uh, was actually involved Janet Gallen, who you mentioned, and NBC Universal. And it was on the impact of the DVR and fast forwarding through commercials. And could people get a commercial impression even when things were fast forwarded? Because they had data from recall and, and other measures that showed that even when they were skipping ads, people were actually getting something and what was going on. Well, 
a couple years later, nobody cared about the DVR anymore. And it was all about, what is this iPhone? What are these smartphones? How is Facebook going to impact our business? Now, this is now 2007, 2008, uh, 2009. And so we were working not directly with Facebook, but with the large media companies, Time Warner, NBC, uh, Fox, uh, and others, to understand the impact on television, traditional television, that social media had. So we were doing studies uh, in, in the early days, and I would go to conferences and listen to the Facebook researchers and present uh, my own research, and I knew they were lying back then. Because we had eye-tracking data, and we had sophisticated neuroscience data that told us exactly how much people were engaging with their ads, uh, and, and then they would get up and, and tell a very different story. So that made me concerned. I never joined Facebook as a result of that. Uh, but I became intrigued as time went on to learn more. Why didn't you join Facebook? Was it as a result of those learnings or was there something before that? Because you're talking to another person who's never joined Facebook either, me. <laughs> yeah, I think in the beginning I was just sort of on the fence to, you know, did I need another, you know, social channel? Uh, you know, I was more into face-to-face -face conversation and I think it was just an intuition. But then when I started, you know, doing the research and realized that this, you know, may be a company of, you know, that, that, that I don't trust fully or that maybe doesn't have the best interest in, of people at, at, uh, versus profits, um, that, that made me concerned. So I just stayed off it and uh, I don't really regret it other than uh, how do I promote my book not being on Facebook, right? <laughs> exactly. So how will you promote the book? You'll do, uh, hopefully, walks like this, talks like this. Um, yeah. I mean, you're, you know, recognized as an expert in your field, so people will come to, towards you to want to hear what you have to say as a result of that, right? Yeah, and I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm a healthcare entrepreneur uh, in addition to an author, and so I'm not... Uh, immune to social media. I'm on uh, LinkedIn and, I, and I'm on Twitter professionally and I'll continue those those channels uh, to promote but like you said I think it's really about uh, having a good publicist and doing interviews and podcasts like this and, and others to, to get the word out. And uh, mentioned your uh, your current job in terms of what is happening with that and uh, tell me how excited you are about it. Yeah, so after we sold uh, Interscope and I was uh, the first global chief neuroscientist at Nielsen for four years, uh, I, I had a yearning to get back into healthcare. Uh, I had uh, thought to myself, maybe I learned a little something about business and, and, and maybe I could contribute uh, at the interface of healthcare uh, technology and business. And so uh, I've now been involved in four or five uh, health technology companies, uh, venture-backed. Uh, currently, uh, I just signed on to be the chief psychiatrist and managing director of the mental health and neuroscience specialty area for a company called OM1. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big company that does big data that you never heard of because it works quietly in the background. Uh, we take uh, healthcare information from electronic health records and pharmacy and insurance claims uh, and, and other data sources, and we organize them, clean them, and link them together in the cloud, and then mine them for insights that help life science companies bring uh, medications to market sooner, help insurance companies understand the costs 
uh, and trade-offs of doing certain types of treatments. And ultimately, the goal is uh, personalized care. So uh, when I'm in my clinic, which I still see patients through Mass General, periodically uh, Mrs. Jones comes in and I can put her profile into a computer and I will compare her profile against you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of other patients like her and tell me which medication or treatment she'll respond to for her depression or her anxiety. That's the, the big goal. So do you think the state of healthcare really is bad now? Uh, well, it, it hasn't been good for a while, and I think the pandemic showed uh, a lot of the inequities uh, in the system uh, and also just how difficult access is. I mean, the reality is we've been running our healthcare system and our hospitals like hotels, maximum occupancy. So when we had this pandemic and there was a surge in, in demand and, and need, uh, we, we weren't really prepared for that, right? And so in this state, Massachusetts, uh, as you know, the... National Guard was called out and they were, you know, putting pop-up hospitals and beds and tents, you know, in, in, uh, in fields, right? And that starts to feel a little like a, a third world nation when we can't get the medications we need and the tests we need. Um, and it really strained the system. Um, and then as a psychiatrist, of course, there's uh, the second pandemic, which is the mental health crisis, which was already a significant situation before the pandemic and it's only gotten worse. So because of your Mass General affiliation, uh, I'm sure you're aware of Home Base, the program uh, with uh, the Red Sox and Mass General uh, that is uh, supporting of veterans' health care issues. Yeah. Um, what can you speak about regarding the severity of veterans' health care issues and obviously the impact on their families and how important uh, is this and is it being, um, you know, neglected as individuals maybe move on to other things that are more important? Well, I, I, I think the number one issue for uh, the veterans in this country is really trauma. Um, you know, we've gotten so much better with technology uh, to prevent deaths in the battlefield, but uh, we haven't really figured out how to prevent the trauma uh, associated with uh, battle and being apart from loved ones for long periods of time and and the challenges with deployment and one of the areas one of the startups I was involved in was looking at uh, the predictors of, of suicide in vets uh, and so what we know is that uh, the highest risk for suicide in, in veterans uh, is not while they're deployed in the field because um, they have the structure and the, 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 the meaning and purpose of being part of something uh, it's actually when they're finished, right? The transition to the, the real world after being deployed for a long time, they're a tremendous risk. So we were uh, working on an app that would uh, treat uh, and identify depression and PTSD uh, and, and suicide risk factors uh, to try to help uh, the men and women as they made that transition. Well, we salute what uh, Mass General and the Red Sox and Home Base and General Hammond, who was a a previous guest on the Taking a Walk podcast, we salute what what they do for uh, you know for our veterans. Um, well, you know, I come from a background of uh, many different formats, many of them music formats, mm -hmm. and from a standpoint of someone who understands the brain as you do, can you talk about the power of music and what music does for people and why it's so special to? mood and and uh, sure help people get through 
Yeah, I mean, uh, what's, what's interesting about music and the brain is that uh, music does not just light up the auditory cortex, the part of the brain that we use for, for sound and, and hearing. Uh, it actually stimulates the emotion centers. When it's particularly moving, it can stimulate the uh, reward centers. Uh, we often visualize when we're listening to music, so we get the visual cortex involved. And, and it really lights up uh, uh, many different parts of the brain in a way that other stimuli just don't. Um, and I think that that's probably something that we evolved to uh, learn uh, to love. Uh, I, I think there are people smarter than me who have speculated that uh, you know early forms of music were uh, a form of communication because we can remember uh, music better than we can you know dry words uh, that are spoken. So uh, and and a lot of music tells a story, right? And we learned in our Interscope days uh, that one of the most effective ways of communicating to people is through stories. And what is a story? A story has a beginning, middle, and end. Uh, it, it has a, a protagonist, uh, often, who is on a journey, uh, typically overcoming odds and, 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 and then learning a lesson and then taking that lesson back uh, to a community uh, and, and sharing it. Uh, and so I think that to the extent that uh, music tells stories, uh, we're wired to hear those things. So what are some action steps that uh, people can take to kind of rewire themselves uh, as far as you know, the digital age? Yeah, I think the most important uh, takeaway, uh, I think, from the book uh, is that we're all uh, at risk uh, because we've all changed our habits in uh, meaningful and significant ways. So there's no one uh, who uh, is not, unless you're one of the few people who don't walk around with a supercomputer in your pocket, uh, at some risk, because these things are so engaging and so powerful uh, and and filled with compulsion loops and super stimuli and are precisely designed to get you hooked and to change your habits. And there's a lot of people who know the same science that I'm trying to tell people to use to help them using that science to hook them. So, so we have to be prepared, number one. Number two, we have to think developmentally, right? So every age is unique, right? So the brain uh, at two months old and two years old and four and through adolescence and then early adulthood and adulthood is constantly changing. And we go through different developmental steps and we need to apply the principles of developmental neurobiology and psychology to those steps. So for example, uh, there's a, I talk a lot in the book about the um, video transfer deficit. And the video transfer deficit is prior to age three years old, uh, young children do not have the brain wiring to take information from a two-dimensional screen, a video or television, and apply it to the real world. So, do you remember uh, Baby Einstein? Yep. Well, uh, very popular in its day. Uh, there was a point at which two-thirds of American households with children had at least one Baby Einstein DVD, and they would take you know six-month-olds and put them in front of videos, and they would stare for hours and hours and hours, and parents thought they were doing a great thing. Until, a few years later, a big study came out and showed not only were kids who were exposed to Baby Einstein not learning, meaning they weren't getting ahead, they were actually falling behind. And they were falling behind because they weren't learning anything. They were staring mesmerized by, you know, the objects and movement on the screen, uh, but they weren't getting face-to-face -face interactions. They weren't getting the adjusted feedback of a live human being. They weren't having touch and play. 
Um, so the displacement of normal developmental activities uh, that these children were substituting uh, screen time for was a bit of a disaster. And so that's why you don't hear about baby Einstein anymore because uh, it didn't work. So that's just one example of how you have to think about uh, where we are developmentally. Let's jump to adolescence. Right, so what, what is the most important thing in adolescence? Well, Eric Erickson said uh, to find meaning and purpose, right? That's what adolescents really want to do. Um, and so uh, we have to think about what that means in the context of social media, in the context of having friends, uh, in the context of breaking up, uh, in the context of developing an identity. Um, and that gets really complicated really quickly, right? We don't allow children to get in an automobile and drive until they're at least 16 and have you know, some testing and, and get a license. But we're gonna give them a supercomputer connected to the internet, and we're gonna put them on the information superhighway without any instruction. That's a bad idea. So I think we need to uh, all start to think about digital literacy, and I, for one, support taking a brain science approach to doing it uh, and informing how we make a lot of these decisions. So last question. If Steve Jobs were alive today, do you think he would look at the world and think, oh my God, look what I was maybe part of creating in terms of this problem? I think if he was honest with himself, I think he would see it as the mixed bag that it is, right? I'm not against technology. I have an iPhone and I love it. And I love all the wonderful things that you can do with it. Uh, I just think we need to be careful about what it's displacing and, and what it's creating. Uh, one of the things I talk about in the book is we have to really move towards human-centered design, right? So instead of technology taking things away from us, they should be empowering us, making us more efficient, uh, having us have better relationships and, and more connected. You know, we know one thing, and I talk about this in the book, uh, a friend of mine, Bob Waldinger, is now sitting on top of the longest continuous running study of human development uh, in this country goes back to the 30s. Uh, it was done here in Boston. So it was a cohort of uh, Harvard undergrads and, and a cohort of uh, inner city males. And they followed them for 80 years. And after 80 years of interviews uh, with them and their family, uh, the big takeaway of what gives people happiness at the end, the quality and number of relationships. And this technology is interrupting relationships. So that's what I worry the most about. Well, one of the uh, things I'm grateful for with the Taking a Walk series is connecting with new people, but also reconnecting with old friends, and as part of that, learning. I can't thank you enough for everything. Give the book one last push here. Okay, the book is called uh, Rewired, uh, Protecting Your Brain in the Digital Age. It's available on Amazon from Harvard University Press, so uh, buy it soon. Dr. Carl Marcy, thank you for taking a walk. My pleasure. Taking a Walk with Buzz Knight is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists. Like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.